Okay, thanks very much. Um, I think it won't be a surprise to most of you to, think, to, to know that women's role and contribution to society, both today and historically, has been marginalised. Um, on the other hand, it's recognised that uh, increased education of women, civil and political rights, economic muscle and social status are fundamental to transforming society and also to achieving um, environmental sustainability. The focus then has traditionally been on the barriers um, that prevent um, women participating uh, and stand in the way of gender equality. And I haven't got thousands of graphs like Matthew, so um, I just put up one, which is um, uh, the passage of time, the long passage of time uh, where women gained the vote um, across the world through history, starting in 1893 in New Zealand. This is parliamentary elections rather than local elections. Um, and as you can see, 2015, um, Saudi Arabia um, is a late joiner to the club, although their elections, uh, this is, women have the vote only in municipal elections and those are yet to happen. Um, and it's debatable whether these women are gonna be able to get to the polling booths as they can't drive. So the emphasis has always been on the barriers um, that there are to female participation. Um, but what I want to do really by looking at the case study of, of Britain is to consider instead where women were able to participate um, and take part in the public life um, of the nation. Now, um, in my research, um, I was sort of taken up with a domestic um, agenda that Ariane sort of outlined um, affecting Queen Victoria. So I wasn't expecting to find women anywhere, really, when I, um, as a traditional pol political historian. But every time I opened a parliamentary blue book or a newspaper um, or local government records or even voting registers, I found that women were there and women were present. So I wondered why it was that historians had sort of written them out of the historical record and wondered whether that also has resonances today. Um, so the established position of historians then is that uh, in the 19th century and earlier, of course, uh, women had no rights. So there are no women prime ministers, there's no women MPs, women don't vote in parliamentary elections. Um, and uh, this anonymous author of the laws respecting women, which was written in the late 18th century, um, summed up their legal status um, very effectively once married, so the very being or legal existence of a woman is suspended. Um, by definition then, um, married women could never be citizens or possess political rights. They couldn't own property. Only in the bleakest way possible were women's freedom of political action in Britain formally acknowledged. So if they committed high treason, they could be put on trial and burnt. <coughs> Women could be punished for plotting against the state, but they can't play an active part within it. So that's the downside. And um, I'm a sort of happy person, so I, was, I didn't really want that sort of depressing um, view of women's uh, participation. Also, all the women I came across in the 19th century were very stroppy and active, and I just couldn't understand 
but they would sit there doing their needlework at home. So I started to uncover some of the areas that women did participate in. And just like today, when you see um, women campaigning for their uh, local playgroups or against roads or um, expansions of airports, in the 19th century, women were taking part in a whole range of activities that affected them. And these are just some of them. And I've tried to draw parallels with um, what's happening today. The, uh, the uh, image on the right at the top is um, from the East London um, Women's Collective. Um, and below, the imagery of the Green Revolution that you're probably familiar with. The image on the left is a punch satire called um, Bloomeriana, which is um, basically taking the idea of Amelia Bloomer's Rational Dress Association and considering what, what it would be like if women participated in all of these areas of public life. Um, the one area that I want to look at today then, because <coughs> um, I think Joe's only given me 15 minutes, so I can't do the whole, the whole range of things that women were doing, is to look at food reform. Um, now, today this would probably be termed something like lifestyle politics. So it's women's engagement in areas um, such as vegetarianism and homeopathy. Um, Richard earlier, earlier today talked about the anti-slavery movement and he touched on the anti-Saccharite um, campaigners. And these were um, basically women and servants, in, in his example, um, who were... Uh, trying to stop <coughs> their families, their children, uh, their neighbors <coughs> using slave-grown sugar. Uh, and this satire is by James Gilray of the royal families. Uh, and you can see the Queen, Queen Charlotte here with all the little princesses who are making faces saying, um, look how nice it is without sugar. And then think how much work you'll save the poor blackamoors by leaving off the use of it. And perhaps more importantly, remember how much expense it will save your poor papa. So um, although he's making fun of the anti-Saccharite movement, actually um, this image is uh, an indication of how important it was and how, it, how food, in a way, and food reform is um, a way of effecting change. Um, so that's positive-negative. The anti-slavery movement, although women actually underpinned it um, and their petitioning movement um, meant that uh, the, the issue stayed on the national agenda, um, women were sort of marginalized in leadership. Here you see a very famous painting of 1840 um, by Benjamin Hayden. Um, and there are only a few key women who were picked out um, to, to be allowed to be in this painting. Um, the rest of them were all banished to the back. This caused huge furore by, uh, with the American delegates um, who couldn't believe that the English were segregating um, by gender in this way. Uh, and some historians see this as starting off the uh, women's rights movement in the US. However, um, I want to look at um, a sort of later campaigner. Um, these are the daughters, um, two of the daughters of Richard Cobden, who's a famous anti-corn um, law campaigner and a sort of a land reformer in the 19th century. Um, you have Jane Cobden on the left and Annie uh, Cobden Sanderson on the right. 
Jane is famous for being the first female London County Councillor, um, although uh, there was a campaign to stop her taking up her seat. Um, Annie on the left is, uh, on the right, sorry, is a, is a member of the ILP. She was a suffragette. You can see um, here, just before she's arrested, um, campaigning again, uh, uh, at the door of number 10. Um, she's also um, a food reformer. Um, the food reform movement itself emerged in Germany in the, 19, in the 1820s, um, and it was quickly adopted by British radicals who wanted to accompany political change um, with the democratization of the care and the feeding of the body. It was important for um, female campaigners particularly because um, they made connections with the lack of control and rights they had over their own health care, diet and welfare, and also the limited voice they had in the public and the civic sphere. So dietetic, dietetic reformers then encompassed a huge uh, group of campaigners, um, vegetarians, um, vegans, fractarians, school meal activists, and also by extension those um, against cruelty to animals, including anti-vivisectionists. And there were strong links between the personnel of these movements and of wider female political reform organizations. And one of the things that... Um, was not particularly surprising to me um, and listening to um, Matthew's paper is the, the, the overlap and intersection of women getting involved in, in a huge range of different sorts of campaigns and sort of opting in and out of these activities. So if we take Jane, for example, she was also involved in um, Irish land reform and home rule. She was um, involved in South Africa. She was involved in the peace movement. Um, so these are not single-issue campaigners. They see it as encompassing their whole lives. And I think um, that means that we have to think of politics in a different way in the 19th century if we want to sort of highlight women's um, role. So Annie then had been a vegetarian since the age of 20. Um, she wrote this um, book later in life saying how she became a vegetarian. Um, and an interest in food reform underpinned much of um, her activism. When she was arrested in 1906, um, after a disturbance in the lobby of the House of Commons, the forcible detention of um, Cobden's daughter triggered a wave of public sympathy for the disproportionate reaction to the demonstration. Although she was imprisoned before the suffragettes started to use the hunger strike um, to publicize their cause further, she suffered immense privation in prison because her vegetarian diet meant that <coughs> sorry, she was only given uh, meals of dry bread, tea, and potatoes. So um, Millicent Garrett Fawcett visited her in prison and was appalled to find that her dinner consisted of three potatoes the authorities been ill-equipped to deal with a vegetarian prisoner. Once she was free, then, she used her experience um, to propagandize and to campaign about the poor conditions in prison. Um, her cell was infested by cockroaches, and so she complained to the prison governor, but refused the offer of a move, um, realizing that 
whoever later occupied her cell would face the same conditions. Her motivation then on her release um, was to improve the treatment of women prisoners, but also to draw attention to the fact that they, that they were incarcerated as a result of legislation enacted by an entirely male government and judiciary. In 1908, she was instrumental in forming the new food reform movement with Sarah Grand um, and fellow vegetarians, um, Charlotte Despard, who you saw um, with her there, um, and Beatrice and Webb and Seabone Roundtree. The professed aim of the movement then was to enlighten public opinion on matters of diet and to point out the dangers of our present system of food supply. The movement was infused with um, eugenics and social Darwinism. Um, one supporter argued that vegetarianism was a natural consequence of the evolution of the human race, which was moving away from a barbarous practices such as the slaughter and um, consumption of animals. A vegetarian diet then had social benefits with followers more open to progress and exercising higher moral values. Food reformers like Annie believed diet could solve many of the problems of the age and also that women were best placed to tackle this. Um, she focused on um, school meals in particular and set out practical um, ideas to reform um, the feeding of poor children. So um, in a book that she wrote with Margaret Macmillan, called London's Children, How to Feed Them and How Not to Feed Them. Um, she set out five dinner menus, most containing a small amount of fish or meat, but reliant on a large amount of root vegetables, fruit, wholemeal bread, wholemeal bread and porridge. She, she suggested using the less refined kind of bread, which should be made crusty by rebaking in the oven, serving to cleanse the teeth and at the same time oblige children to eat slowly and properly masticate their food. The focus on school meals then had a far wider objective. She wanted to transform national politics and this was also an, a feminist agenda. The establishment were charged with failing to nurture the nation's most precious um, resource, its people. And the practical activities of campaigners such as um, Margaret Macmillan and Annie Cobden Sanderson aimed to demonstrate that women were aware of the key social and economic challenges of the age and also knew how to resolve them. So I just wanted to um, conclude by um, thinking about um, how we might re-establish um, uh, an agenda for, about women and political change. Um, first, I think the emphasis should be on measuring and assessing where women are active, as well as counting their lack of progress in some formal institutions. Many women enter mainstream politics after becoming active in local and neighbourhood organisations, and the marginalisation of these um, bodies overlooks the contribution that women make to political life. Such community enterprises are also important in given, giving women experience in public affairs and the confidence to articulate their views. Second, even where women do play a full part in public life, such as voting or holding office, they tend to be written out of the official record. They are assumed to be absent um, from public life, 
when in fact their voices are unheard and their actions are unrecognized. Thus, there needs to be greater recognition um, for, and reward for female activism. Thirdly, we need to adopt a broader definition of politics and political culture. The areas that I've looked at today are often excluded from mainstream analyses of 19th century politics and government. This tends to uh, compound the marginalization of women and overlooks their important contributions. The home, the neighborhood, and the community are formative sites of female political action, <clears throat> and they should be acknowledged as such. And lastly, I do recognize that there are barriers to women's political participation. Um, the invisibility of politically active women means that um, parties and institutions need to be much more proactive by reforming <coughs> processes and practices which exclude women from public life. I wanted just to end with um, a quote from the Morning Chronicle um, from 1845. Um, they wrote, um, and this was about women and the Anti-Corn Law League, they wrote that on the one hand, the active participation of women in political agitation and debate is generally speaking decidedly undesirable. But on the other hand, there are from time to time certain public questions of a quasi-political character on which the expression of female opinion and feeling is both natural and graceful. We have no wish to map and meet out the wide space of debatable ground, um, which all the questions of the day, political, semi-political, charitable, moral, and mixed, are fit or unfit for female interference. And I think it's important that we map, out, map and meet out this wide space of debatable ground um, and look at where women are participating um, and making a difference. Thanks very much.